Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. Morning. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. For those that are guests, my name is John Wyatt. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries, and we just want to welcome you uh, to our church. Hey, Victor. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thank you for being here this morning. Um, We're continuing in our Leaning In series um, that we started last week of experiencing God in our everyday lives. And Pastor Victor last uh, last week took us on a journey in a cave, and we learned how to be honest with God, um, especially in our worship. Uh, No matter where we find ourselves struggling, God can handle it. And he wants to be close to us. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at another spiritual practice that will help us lean in and depend on God throughout our busy lives. And this week, it got me thinking. It got me thinking um, about a time when Debbie and I, my wife, were doing some pre-premarital counseling uh, with a couple. And it was a while back, and so we were trying to schedule a time for our initial meetup, kind of the pre-engagement, engagement, engagement, pre-counseling or whatever. So we said, hey, we're all adults here. We all have busy uh, schedules, why don't we uh, set up this initial meeting so we can kind of talk through expectations, we can hear your guys' love story, you can hear our story, and we can kind of get to know each other. We said, okay, so we pull our phones out and we said, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we meet up together after church on a Sunday and we'll go to um, The Habit, you know, Pastor Mike's favorite restaurant. We'll go, to the, we'll go to The Habit. And we said, sure, why not? That'll be a good time, fun time, hanging out, getting to know each other. Well, apparently, everybody and their mom had the same idea we did, because when we got to the habit on a Valley View in Orangethorpe, it was packed. I mean, it was like standing room only. And you know when you go to a restaurant and you're trying to find a table, you're trying not to look like a vulture, you know, watching people eating their fry. They're eating their last fry, like, are you done yet? Are you going to leave? You know, so you're trying not to be those people, but we were definitely those people. And we have our newborn in her, in her thing, right? So we're just like all standing there awkwardly. We finally get a table. It's like, okay, phew. You know, or we had to be standing up eating our food. So we get a table, we sit down, but it's so loud, we're trying to hear this wonderful, amazing story, and we're yelling at each other. How did you come together? Oh, that's encouraging. That's great, right? It's so loud that we're leaning in and straining just to hear each other. And then before we knew it, all of a sudden, our newborn, she wakes up, and it's game over, lights out, we're done here. You know, like, it was like, ah. So we're like, guys, we're really sorry. Um, We we got to reschedule. And they're like, no, no problem, no problem. We're like, okay. So then I remember getting back in the car with Debbie and I was like, I put my head in my hands and I'm like, oh my goodness, that is not what I expected that time to look like. And I wonder when it comes to us experiencing God in our everyday lives, if it feels like trying to have a conversation during lunch with God at the habit. I wonder if in our lives we're straining every day to try to hear from God, but the noise of our everyday life just keeps drowning out his voice. I wonder how many times we try to be intentional about spending time in God's presence only to be frustrated by the constant interruptions that we face. But I think if we're even more honest, let's say that we did get that time. Let's say we did get the table and the restaurant was really quiet and we were sitting across the table from God. I wonder if we would really know what to do. I wonder if we would feel so awkward that we'd probably reach for our phone to fill the awkwardness. Or we'd reach for the earbuds to put in because I don't know what to do with God and his presence, even if I was to have some time. So what do we do then? How do we experience God in in the midst of our habit-driven, noise-filled, constantly interrupted, go, go, go life? 
Well, this morning we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to look at how he leaned into God in his everyday life. Because if there was anyone who was constantly surrounded by people, always on the go and always being pulled in every which direction, it was Jesus, right? And yet Jesus had a regular spiritual habit that helped him connect with his heavenly father throughout the daily grind. And so we're going to look into that this morning. But before we do, would you close your eyes with me and we're going to pray and ask God to come close to us this morning. Abba Father, thank you for your incredible, massive, arms wide open kind of love. Thank you for your reassuring presence. Thank you for your spirit that can speak through your word to us this morning. I ask, Lord God, that you would come close to us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you please open with me to the Bible book of Luke? Chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hands and our ushers will lend you one uh, to use this morning. Luke chapter 5. Um, raise your hands if you need one and then you can just leave it on the seat afterwards. So we're going to be spending uh, the majority of this morning in the first part of Luke and the first part of Mark. And the gospel writers are going to highlight some very important things that about how Jesus experienced God. So the first question that any commissioned follower of Jesus must ask See how I connected to our last series, commissioned? All right, anyway. Um, the first question that any commissioned follower of Jesus should ask is, where did Jesus himself lean into God in his everyday life? How did Jesus, the Savior, our master, our example, how did he go about navigating his relationship with God when he was on the go? How did Jesus stay connected to the Father and committed to the Father's mission without getting burned out? Along the way. Well, here's the awesome thing. Sprinkled throughout the Gospels, we will see Jesus had spiritual habits that helped him lean into God in his everyday life. However, though, if we just kind of skip to the parts of Scripture that we like or the more colorful ones, we might miss it. But if we are to take kind of a slower, reflective look, we'll see, you'll see these spiritual practices of Jesus kind of popping out. And as I was going this week, I was starting to highlight where I saw these things. And pretty soon I was coloring all in the Gospels. And I'm like, oh, they're everywhere. I just haven't necessarily seen them before. And so this morning we're going to look at a few of these. So look with me at Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 15. But now even more, the report about him, Jesus, went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So here's the gospel writers are telling us, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray is showing us that Jesus would regularly go about doing these things. Word is out. Jesus is on the move. He's healing and everybody is bringing everybody to come and meet Jesus. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So in these verses, we can see a few things that the Lord Jesus himself made it a part of his regular daily routine to retreat from the crowds and ministry into silence and solitude. He would do this by going out into creation, into desolate, lonely wilderness places where no one else wanted to be. Which is odd because we think of Jesus as always being with people, right? He's always with them. He's always with them. He's always healing. He's always going. But here he seems to be pulling away. He seems to be retreating from the crowds going outside into creation. And then the gospel writers point out that he would rise up either early in the morning to do this, or after a long day of ministry, a long day of working, a long day of being with people, he would go and retire and retreat with the Lord. 
So you'll see I have verses on the side here. I'm not going to read all these, um, but if you, but I want to show you that they're here because this was a regular part of Jesus's life. And if you want more, ver- uh, if you want the verses and you don't you don't have time to write them down, I did. There is a study guide in the back that you can pick up that'll have every verse on it that I would encourage you to spend time with um, in your own devotion. But we see Jesus here leaning into God through silence and solitude all over the Gospels. And so we see here that Jesus regularly practiced silence and solitude by going into creation, away from other people, before the start of the day or maybe at the end of the day. But that brings us to the second question. What did Jesus do uh, when he was out there? How did he actually go about doing silence and solitude? What did he do when he was alone? Is there anything that Jesus was doing that I can that can I can use in my own life to connect with God? Well, I do think there is. Turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1. So just go to your left in your Bibles to Mark, chapter 1. And look with me at verse 35. Mark, chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him were searching for him, and they found him, and they said, Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. You see, I kind of chuckle when I read this passage because it reminds me of when I'm engaged in the spiritual practice of, you know, using the bathroom and um, I hear a little toggle at the door and I hear, hello, dada. It's my daughter, two-year-old trying to come in, you know, and I'm like, I just want some peace and quiet for a second. I mean, I'm sure nobody can relate with that who has kids, you know, but it seems like Jesus too couldn't get peace and quiet. So he went out where he knew people weren't going to be. It seems that he went out to do that. And so what we see, we see a few things in these verses. We see that the Lord Jesus withdrew alone. Now, for some of us who are extroverted, the idea of being alone by ourselves is going to kill us. We're like, oh my gosh, I would rather get a finance charge on my banking account than be by myself without people, right? Now, for the introverts, we're like, yes, finally, finally, we can be by ourselves, right? But the great thing is that Jesus knew what it was like, and he was the ultimate people person. Jesus was the ultimate with person. I mean, he was always, always with people, and yet we're seeing here in the Gospels that he valued taking time to step away from the world to lean in to God. And so he withdrew alone to lean in and pray with his heavenly Father. He saw the importance of connecting with his dad, praying with him, talking with him, catching up, spending time with his father during these times of retreat outside. And when Jesus was outside connecting with his dad, he was also observing nature. And we see this because when Jesus taught the crowds and he taught his disciples, he was always pointing out stuff in nature as a kind of an object lesson, right? I mean, Matthew 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. And he's teaching the disciples and the crowds, and he goes, hey, he goes, look at the birds of the air. Consider who feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field and the one who clothes the fields with grass. Jesus, I mean, he's the, um, they're going one day and he picks up a mustard seed, right? And he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Jesus was in creation and he was looking at it. Have you ever stood, have you ever traveled to Yosemite and stood in the bottom of the valley floor and looked up at these amazing giants? 
Have you ever been? This is Malibu, which is really cool. This is a place where I did my bachelor um, men's weekend. And this is, I loved going here because I'm in LA and it doesn't feel like LA. It doesn't even look like LA. It's amazing. Um, I love going to places that are bigger than me. When I was in college, we went to Joshua Tree. And if you haven't ever been to Joshua Tree, I remember the guys were like, hey, let's go to Joshua Tree for a camping weekend. I'm like, why in the world would anybody go to the desert to camp? That just sounds hot and miserable. But when you go there, there are these massive rocks that are humongous. And you can't, you just stop and you're like, how did they get here? They look like they fell from heaven. It's insane. It's amazing. I also, when I'm really stressed in life, I love going boogie boarding. I love going in the ocean, especially when the ocean's a little rough, because I like being tossed around by the waves by something that's bigger and stronger than me. Because inside, the voices inside or the stress inside is trying to convince me that they're stronger and they're bigger. You see, there's something powerful that happens inside of us when we behold the immensity of creation. There's something inside of us that tells us we're small. And we're small enough to be able to behold something so massive. And we realize in that moment that we can't hold it all together. There's something that actually steadies us in our soul because that's how we were created. It places us back in a posture of wonder and discovery and dependency on our creator. And it says, oh yeah, that's right. He holds all things together. I don't have to. And I mean, we saw this on Friday, right? It's pouring rain. And the lightning storms and the Cypress football team, they started their game. They had to pause, and then they had to play the rest of it on Saturday because the lightning was so close. And um, um, my wife and I took our daughter, and we went, and we were watching just the lightning strikes. We're in our car, and we're at the top of a parking structure, and it's just like lightning strike after lightning strike. It's amazing. It's amazing because, I mean, Southern California, we don't have weather like that. I'm like, Shelby, this happens once a year. You know, (laughs) you better take it in right now. You know, like... um, But there's other places in the country, right, that hurricanes come, weather comes, and you can't have your own agenda with a hurricane. You stop everything, and you have to cooperate with how big that storm is because it's going to ruin you, right? In SoCal, we don't have to worry about that. And don't get me wrong. I love living in SoCal, and I wouldn't want to run from hurricanes, tornadoes, and stuff like that. Like, no thank you. But if I'm going to continue to live here, I'm going to have to seek out places in creation like Jesus did to center my soul. Because in SoCal, I can be in charge of so much, and the weather, I don't have to answer the weather, but I don't tell the lightning bolt where to strike. I don't tell the wind where to go. And we, as followers of Jesus, we have to put ourselves in those positions. And so when Jesus is out, he's noticing creation. He's noticing what God has done. And so one of my favorite quotes is from John Muir. He quoted this in his book called Yosemite. He said, everybody needs beauty as well as bread, places to play in and pray in, where nature may heal and give strength to the body and soul alike. I don't know if you notice or just done like a really light read. Most heroes in the Bible went off to the mountains. They went into the wilderness to gain strength and to pray to the Lord and connect with the Father. So not only did Jesus go outside and notice nature, he meditated on Scripture. He meditated on a scripture that he probably knew by heart because when we see Jesus out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, what do we see? He quotes from Deuteronomy. He quotes from scripture. Now, Jesus probably wasn't walking around with a huge scroll, and then when he was tempted, he rolled it out, 
read, you know, this way because it's Hebrew. You know, he didn't read it to the devil. No, no, he probably had meditate on it and he heard it and memorized it from when he was a little kid. But nowadays, you and I, we can take our phones, we can take our Bible. If we need a language, we can get any translation we want. But the question as followers of Jesus that we need to ask is, what helps us connect with God? What helps us meditate on God's word? Um, sometimes with, sometimes having it on our phone is awesome and annoying, right? So I have my phone on right now. It's giving me a timer so I don't keep us here till dinner, right? But what I had to do before I came up here was I turned all my notifications off. It's in airplane mode because I don't want it to interrupt this conversation. I don't want it to interrupt us. Sometimes when we have the Bible on our phone, and I'm guilty of this too, we can be reading and then boop, ding. Oh, someone did like that picture. Man, finally, you know, or whatever. Like it's, it can get in the way. So we have to ask ourselves, hey, what's going to help me connect to God? Is it holding a physical Bible that might slow me down? Is it holding it on my phone, but maybe doing it with the notifications off? Whatever is helpful for you to connect to the Father and help meditate on Scripture, that's what I think is important. And then lastly, we see here that Jesus, he got tired and rested. John 4 is when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And do you know the reason that he was at the well? is because the Bible says that he was wearied from his journey and needed to sit down. He was wearied from his journey and needed to sit down. We also see Jesus, when everyone is freaking out on the boat, what is he doing? He's napping. Hashtag life hack. Jesus nap. I can nap. Therefore, it's all good. I love naps. I hated naps when I was a little kid, and I used to have a Ninja Turtle comic that I would put under my pillow, so when mom and dad left, I could read it, right? But my junior year of college and up until now, that's what got me through college and gets me through now because I take naps. Naps are great, Okay. It's And if Jesus did it, I can do it. Now think about this with me. Jesus, the God-man, who's fully God, he's fully man, he's the ultimate with man, he's with God, and he's with people, needed to take a break because he got tired. He needed to rest and recover and reconnect with his heavenly father in order to carry out the mission that his father had commissioned him with. And Jesus says, I don't do anything that I don't see my father doing already. Where did Jesus see his father resting beforehand? At the very, very beginning of creation. It took God six days to make everything, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So Jesus is doing what he sees his father doing, and he's saying to us, how much more you humans who are not the God people, you're not God woman, God man, Yes, you're filled with my spirit, but you're still human and you're still limited. You're not the creator. You are the created. How much more so do we need to take time to rest and recover and reconnect with our Savior, with our God? So we see Jesus regularly leaning into God in his everyday life by practicing this silence and solitude. But what I want to do is talk about what could happen and what tends to happen. Maybe it happens to you. I know it happens to me. When we intentionally carve out time to be with God. What happens when we quiet down our souls? What happens when we go to the habit to have a conversation and then it's so noisy and so loud that all of a sudden what I thought was going to be this great time with the Lord is one that's been full of dread and surprise and unwantedness. So what do we do? Well, turn over with me to chapter one of Mark. We're still in Mark. Go with me to verse 12. It says, the spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. 
and he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So, you finally listen to the Lord's leading in your life. You're going to take a day away to pray or reconnect with him. You've driven down to the beach, or you've set yourself up to go for a hike, and before you get out the door, or on the way there, you get towed, you get a flat tire, or you start to feel really scared all of a sudden, like spiritual warfare kind of scared. Like, why do I feel over so overwhelmed right now? I thought I was going to be alone with the Lord and dependent on him. Well, when we take those times to be intentional with God to do our devotions or even to come to church, the enemy is on high alert. He's like, ah, ha, ha. they're getting ready to drink from the well of living water. Do everything in your power to stop them. Do everything in your power to disrupt them. Do everything in your power to scare them out of doing that. Because notice what happened before Jesus, when Jesus went into the wilderness, right? It says that the spirit drove him into the wilderness. So there was this, hey, I'm going to be with God, that God's leading this. And then all of a sudden the enemy comes and he messes with him and he tempts him. And I actually take, I take heart in this because it shouldn't surprise us when we quiet our lives down to lean into God that the enemy is going to try to get at us. Because if he did it to Jesus, he's certainly going to do those who follow Jesus. So in those moments when you feel scared or spiritually attacked, I want you to remember, I want you to remember who is truly in charge. I want you to remember who is the ultimate victor, the one who has already won. I want you to remember who is stronger than any roaring lion that may come. Look with me at James 4, 7 and 8. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When Jesus was drawing away into the wilderness on retreat, he was drawing close to his father, and his father was there waiting for him. And yes, the enemy may have come, but God was the one standing there protecting him, and he's also standing there protecting us. No one and nothing can roar louder than our Lord. Nothing can stand between us and him, and he promises to draw close to us during these times of connection. But also during silence and solitude, you, we may feel distracted. But we, can, we have to remember who's greater. Have you ever tried to be intentional? You sit down to do your devo or you go to church and then all of a sudden you're getting ready to pray and then you're like, why all of a sudden do I remember everything I haven't done today? Right? Or, oh my gosh, I have all these creative ideas right now. All of a sudden, right? You just get flooded and bombarded and we get so distracted like the dog and up, squirrel, you know, and you're trying to be with God, you know? Why does that happen? We get distracted. But we have to remember who's greater. We have to remember the one who we're with can steady our soul. And he can speak peace into the chaos. And he understands. I know he understands because 1 John 4 tells us this. Little children. Pause. Why does he call us little children? Because we don't get it. We're his kids. He has so much understanding. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he, capital H, who is in you is greater than he, lowercase h, who is in the world. God is greater. He gets it. And there's a great song, if you want, um, by Mercy Me called Greater. Um, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's It'll be stuck in your head all day. It's an awesome song. But it just talks about this truth, that God is greater. And it, that I think that song could really help you know that sink in. Also during silence and solid, solitude, we might start to feel not just distracted, not spiritually attacked, but we start to feel disqualified. But we have to remember whose voice really matters. 
We have to remember the one who calls you by name. And we have to remember the one who gets the final say. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you're sitting and you're trying to spend time with God. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, I haven't done this forever. God must think I'm a joke. Man, I, <laughs> I'm i trying to be in the word, but I just cussed out this person. Or I'm reading about love and I can't love my spouse. And we start to feel disqualified. Well, we're not going to read this in its entirety, but if you're ever struggling with seeing yourself as God sees you, and you're struggling feeling worthy to be with God, I want you to prayerfully read through Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 has, I mean, the whole book of Ephesians really is about seeing ourselves as God sees us. And I don't know about you, but I need to see myself a lot better how God sees me than how I see myself or the world sees me. For uh, for starters, um, here are some truths of what it means to be in Christ. He has chose us. He's predestined us. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know where I'm going. That's okay. God knows. He's adopted us. The enemy's going to say, you know what? You're alone. Nobody wants you. You're by yourself. That's why you're single because da, 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 da. No. God says, I've adopted you and I've chosen to be with you. Ephesians reminds us that we're blessed. God has redeemed us. You know what? You've messed up so much. You're beyond saving. You're beyond redemption. God says, no way. Because you're in Christ, I can redeem this. God says, hey, I can forgive you. You may say, well, I've messed up so much that nobody can forgive me. No, no, no. We combat the lie with truth. The truth is that he lavished us. I know sometimes like, oh, you're not worthy enough. You're not worth someone taking you out. You're not worth someone lavishing you. God says, I've lavished you, and I loved you so much that I gave you my son. He's united us to a family. He saved us, and he has sealed us. You see, this is what it means to be in Christ. This is what it means to be a part of God's forever family as a fully forgiven, fully accepted child of God. And we must always come back to what God thinks about us because it will be his voice and what he thinks of us that will steady us. And we see this happening in Jesus' life too. Jesus knew who he was and he knew what his father thought of him. Look back with me. Verse 12, before Jesus went into the wilderness, the verses right above, what happened? He got baptized. Jesus gets baptized and he hears a voice from heaven immediately saying, he saw the heavens open, torn open, and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus said, I don't have to prove anything. I'm already loved. I am the beloved. You see, Jesus listened to that voice for his whole life. He listened to that voice, and that helped him walk through life. Because think about Jesus. One minute people were praising Jesus. The next minute they're laughing at Jesus. One minute they're saying, Hosanna, save us. The next minute they're saying, crucify him. There's a lot of voices in his life, and there's certainly a lot of voices in our life. But we have to learn how to pay attention to the one that calls us a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God now that we are in Christ. That is the voice that Jesus clung to in his life. And you and I, we have to learn how to listen to that voice in the silence, in the solitude, even in our failures. Because otherwise we're going to run around begging for affirmation, for praise, and for success from others. And we'll never be free. If we don't know that we are beloved sons and daughters of God, we're going to expect someone else or something else 
to make us feel that way when they can't. Because they're not our creator. They're just another created thing. We must remember who we are and what God thinks of us now that we're in Christ because that will be the thing that will help us. It'll help us because sometimes in silence and solitude, we're tempted. We're tempted to prove ourselves to God. But we have to remember that Jesus paid it all already. We might want to show God, Lord, I'm serious, and so I seriously want to hang out with you, and I seriously want to pray to you, and I seriously want to spend time in the Word. That's why I seriously came out here, and I, I, you know, I interrupted my life to show you that I'm serious and that, you know, love me. Love me, please. We can be tempted to justify ourselves by coming to church or on a serve day or in ministry to say, look, God, see, see, I have this great track record. Love me. This can be a temptation of any spiritual habit that we'll talk about in any of this leaning in series. The temptation will always be to, if I do this, then I'll be in better standing with God and he'll love me more. But Jesus paid it all. Titus 3, 4 through 8 reminds us of this. Titus says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Why did he save us? Not because of the good works done by us in righteousness, not because of any great thing that we could ever do, but according to his own mercy, his loving kindness, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs, family members, according to the hope of eternal life. And Paul tells us, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Sometimes when we run to service or we run to do spiritual disciplines or we run to do whatever good work, we get, we get it mixed up. We say, God, see, I did these things. Love me. As opposed to, you are already loved. I've done everything. And now I want you to serve out of gratitude and freedom. We have to start here before we do any of this, because that's going to guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And so when we lean into God, I think, when we first hear the word silence and solitude and we see Jesus doing this, ultimately I think we think, I'm just going to be alone by myself without anybody. But we have to remember the one who is always already with us. We have to remember that in the core of who we are, in the core of our being, deep down is the very spirit of Jesus himself. Remember, the promises of our Savior is to be with us forever. When Jesus went into silence and solitude, he was never alone, and neither are we. When we lean into God, we can be confident that there is someone leaning back towards us. No matter how we feel, God is always holding on to us. So you might be thinking, okay, Pastor John, um, you you just told us about silence and solitude. Why would anybody ever do that? If there's going to be temptation, fears, pride, self-doubt, loneliness, spiritual warfare, and a whole plethora of things that I do not want to deal with, and why would I ever intentionally do that? That's a good question. Why lean into God through this practice? Which raises my next question, why in the world did Jesus do it? Why would Jesus intentionally go into the wilderness? Why would he do these things? Well, look with me at Mark chapter 6. 
And I think we're going to see kind of the heart of Christ in this. Mark chapter 6, look with me at verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away with me by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Man, um, if any of you have ever been in college or grad school, or you have students who are in college, grad school, or high school, or finals week, this is the perfect finals passage, right? It, you're studying, you're busy, you're trying to eat between tests, you're working hard. Jesus says, I get it. It says they didn't even have time to eat, right? And it appears that Jesus didn't just practice these things of going into desolate places alone, but he brought his followers with him. He brought his disciples with him. Because I think God, Jesus knew some things. After regularly spending time with his father in these places, he knew that God cares for us. God cares for us. God understands our limitedness. He understands that we need him, and he is okay with that. Because we are his kids. When we walk in dependence on God, He can care for our souls in ways that no other created thing can. Jesus had spent time with his father and he knew. He knew that his father could care for us and he wanted his followers to know the same. Jesus also knew that in in silence and solitude, there is fullness and there is joy that can only be found in the presence of the Lord. When we take time to drink from living water, it can fill us and give us a joy, a deeper joy, a lasting satisfaction. And that's the abundant life. Now, when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the abundance, I know for me, I used to think, oh, that means if I do the good things, then the bad things won't happen. If I do a proverb a day to keep the devil away, then my life is going to be great, and I'm never going to experience pain or uncontrolled stuff. No, no, no. The abundant life is all about having a foundation, having the person of Jesus to steady your soul through it all, because we live in a broken world. But there is always fullness and joy available. But Jesus also knew that there was the available strength of heaven that we can be supported with. Jesus needed heaven's help in the daily grind, and so do we. There is the strength of the kingdom of heaven available to us from the king. Look with me at Psalm 105.4. It says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Man, what if we had that over our doors before we left our homes? What if we had that on our on the inside of our doorway in our car when we got out of the car to remind us that, oh yeah, seek the Lord in his strength. And then we also see this in the life of Jesus that, again, he goes into the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil, but eventually the devil left and the angels came and were ministering to him. There was this strength of heaven available to us and to Jesus. Jesus knew ultimately that the love At the end of the day, in silence and solitude, what was waiting for us was love. Love would be waiting for us in silence and solitude. That the heart of his father would always have his arms open and unconditional welcome because we were his kids. Nothing could separate us from his love. He's always ready to receive us. And so, in conclusion, 
Remember that couple that we were meeting with to try to do pre-engagement, engagement, pre-counseling or whatever? Well, they said they didn't want anything to do with, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We, we got another date on the calendar and this time instead of going to the habit, we went to our home. Okay. Instead of a bunch of people in booths, we took our couches and we kind of turned them towards each other so that we could see each other. We um, lit a candle to kind of help focus us. The house didn't smell like fried food. It smelled like a pumpkin spice latte or whatever the candle was, you know, because um, it was it was sensorial. And then we put our daughter to bed, which means we had to push the time to a little bit later, but we had to alter our life and our schedule to be able to hear each other, to be able to lean into this couple during this exciting season of engagement. Sometimes it's hard for us to connect with our Heavenly Father like Jesus did because of the environments that we're living in. Sometimes maybe changing our location or changing the way that we do things to connect with God can really help us stay the course, much like Jesus did, and experience the joy that he experienced. You know, for some of us, you're able to multitask with all the noise around you. Nothing better than going to Starbucks, a bunch of people you know, buzzing around you, and you've got your headphones in, and you're just working. But the older I get and the quicker technology gets, the slower I realize I am, and I need to concentrate. <laughs> I need to kind of take these times away to intentionally be with God, no matter how awkward or scary it is. Because when I walk away from those times, my hope and my prayer is, is that I have a little bit more of his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, his goodness, his faithfulness, and self-control that has rubbed off on me so that when I go back into the world or back into my job or back into my family, they can tell I've been with Jesus. You see, you and I might not be able to practice silence and solitude the exact same way that Jesus did, and that's okay. But ask ourselves, what kind of environment can we intentionally set up in our own life to creatively plan to be with God? Because if we don't do that, we're going to rush into a world and say, you need Jesus. But we as commissioned followers have to know first how much we need Jesus and how good and sweet and amazing his love is. It's an amazing love that says, man, that looks at a broken world and says, I need to introduce you to someone. I need to introduce you to someone who will be patient with you, who says you are redeemable. I need to introduce you to someone who loves you no matter what. That is why we go into silence and solitude. We lean in because we want to know who the God of the universe is and how he's created us. That is the message that changes the world. And we have to be settled in our soul there before we can do it in the world. And so this morning, I'm going to close our time by, we're going to, we're going to come away with Jesus and get some rest in an in a intentional way. We're not going to go into solitude because we're all together, but we're going to be in solitude with one another. And I'm going to close our time with some silence by reading um, a verse from Psalms. And so I want you, I just invite you to close your eyes with me and allow God to come close to you right where you are. Ask his spirit to guide you wherever he wants. And then after some silence, I'll close us in prayer. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. 
be still and know that I. Be still and know. Be still and be still. Lord Jesus, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for coming close to us and that in your presence there's fullness, there's joy, there's love waiting for us. Lord, thank you that before we even woke up this morning and did anything for you, you were sitting by our bedside loving us, keeping oxygen in the air that we could wake up in your love. So Lord, help us, help us to, in those moments of silence or solitude, maybe those moments when we're in the cave, help us to hear your voice more clearly than all the others in our life. Help us to focus on what you say we are and who you say we are versus others. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible, amazing love. In Jesus' name.